record on this computer. I always get nervous that I won't hit that button and then we just re- uh, waste 30 minutes. So like, like, like <laughs> my, minor freak out that I forget to hit record. Uh, so yeah, yeah I, I appreciate you hopping on, man. I, obviously you've been hot and, and, and it's, we're trying to do more player interviews and especially just from, from everywhere in college golf. So I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you got to join. Um, what, so you told me you, you had to catch up on life in school since you've been on the road for, for a couple of weeks. What does, what does that mean? What does catching up on life in school mean? Yeah. So just, um, we traveled right before spring break started. We went out to Vegas and missed the last couple of days of class before that. Gotcha. And then, um, and then we got back and it was spring break. So it's like, we're not missing anything, but we're still practicing and getting ready to travel again. And then as soon as we leave again, you know, classes start back up and we miss a more couple more days of class. So it's just kind of a, you know, it's the, another day in the life of sure. the college athlete, but, but just getting caught up in stuff uh, with life. Like um, I had some graduation paperwork I had to turn in that I didn't have a chance to turn in on time. And then, um, you know, just a couple of housekeeping things and, you know, homework and, and all that stuff. But yeah. But, what's yeah. what's cause you're a senior. So what's, what's like the hardest class you're taking right now? Uh, hardest class is probably my senior research thesis class. Okay. Um, I'm a communication arts major. Okay. And so it's just, it's a lot of writing. Um, and it's like a research project that's building up and we do step-by-step throughout the year and end up with this huge research work that's like 35, 40 pages long and, uh, you know, like 50, 50 plus sources. And so it's just a lot of research and writing and database stuff and it's it's not a lot of fun so I'm, I'm trying to uh trying to keep up in that and and not get too far behind what, what's your what's your project on um it's kind of it's kind of different so i'm comparing uh the social media of professional golfers and celebrities and like seeing their tactics of like growing their personal brands and kind of like analyzing them and seeing what like professional golfers can do better to, to push their brands. Interesting. Interesting. That's yeah. It's, it's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to call myself old, but social media wasn't as big as it is now, obviously. So like a lot of us have done like a senior project kind of deal. And like, that wouldn't have been a topic I would have even thought about when I was in college, as far as like the impact of social media between celebrities and, and, uh, and professional athletes. But like, you're absolutely right. Like that's a, that is a thing now, you know what I mean? So that, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'm sure ahead. it's, I'm sure it's changed a lot. And, you know, we try to, we try to stick to uh, our sport, I guess, and, and try to relate it to school. It makes it more interesting for us. <laughs> right. Yeah. So especially when you got to write 35 pages on it. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome to the finals of the 2022 NCAA Golf Championship. Make it memorable, gentlemen. What's up and welcome to this week's edition of the Golf Stat Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus L. And this week, I have a winner of three events in a row. And I think, you correct me if I'm wrong, Beck, maybe four or five wins this year. I've got Beck Burnett from, from Lee University. Beck, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. And uh, yeah, three in a row right now and four on the season. Four on the season. Yeah, thanks for, for that. It's, it's, it's interesting. I, I looked up... Um, I looked up the rest, of, you know, I looked up, I always do my research trying to figure out all your results. Obviously you've got the four wins, the three in a row, but do you know, in the, in the events that you haven't won the players that you've lost to, do, do you happen to know, know this stat? Cause this one was interesting to me. I've read a lot of like the golf stat reports and stuff. And I want to say they're all like top 20 players. If yeah, that's so, what you're getting at. Yep. So I, I think you may have, seven or eight total losses on the year, but your only losses are to the number two, <laughs> number three, number four, number five and six player in the country. And then maybe like number 21 and number 27 or something like that, which is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So, <laughs> so, so when you're not winning, you're only getting beat by those that are, that are, you know, again, top 10 players or whatever it may be. So, but anyways, really happy to have you on. Let's, let's jump right in with, with, uh, with your latest event, Southeastern, another win three in a row, what does that feel like to get three in a row? Maybe specifically just the performance at Southeastern and maybe talk even more about, um, you know, be, getting on a run here and winning three in a row. What's, what's that been like? Yeah, it's been awesome. I mean, I, 
obviously I have no complaints through, through three events this spring. Um, it's not something I fully expected to do, but at the same time, it's something that I knew I could do. And so uh, the fact that it was at the Southeastern Collegiate uh, down at Kinderloo Forest, that's actually where I had my first collegiate win my sophomore year. Uh, so it kind of brought back some good memories and, uh, you know, to be able to play there, uh, play well there again, uh, is pretty cool. And so there's like an emotional aspect to it as well, um, going back there and playing well. And then, um, you know, just learning to win in different ways is like important for me as I build for the future and, you know, coming in with really, really high expectations coming off two wins in a row. Um, you know, like I said, it's, you go into it, like, man, I have to win this and you have to deal with that pressure throughout the week. And in preparation of like, if I don't win, it's going to be a complete letdown. And so I actually, I started off the tournament, um, with nine bars and just felt like couldn't really get anything going. And I had to convince myself, like, you know, I came to a crossroads in my mind, almost like, Oh, I could just tell myself, Hey, you know, you can't win every week. You're not always going to be on top of your game or, you know, on the flip side, I could turn it around and be like, okay, let's mix this into a special week and find a way to get it done. So that's, that's pretty fascinating. And you, and you hit on a really good point there where you, you know, when you have multiple wins, you talked about, um, finding different ways to win and multiple ways to win. Um, have your experiences with the four wins that you have this year. And again, and you've got wins in other seasons as well, both sophomore and junior year as well. What, what's been the difference, do you think, or what are the multiple ways you feel like you have won? Is it is it just a different style of play, or is it a mental mental aspect that's been different for all of them? Uh, I mostly refer to it like, um, you know, whether I'm sleeping on the lead, you know, a couple shots up, or if I'm playing from behind, or or really like if I'm not feeling good about my game. And I think finding a way to get it done when I'm not feeling good about like the way I'm striking it, or, you know, I feel blind over pots, you know, because, you know, that happens to all of us. But, um, but yeah, just the different ways of, of getting it done, whether that's six shots up with nine to play and trying to mentally tell yourself, okay, just keep playing the same golf. You know, it's not like you're trying to hold on to it. You're just trying to do your own thing and nobody's going to catch you. Uh, you know, whether it's that or you're two back with six to play and you've got to make a little bit of a move. And so this season, I've played from a couple up and I've played from a couple back and um, there really hasn't been any situations. Well, not many anyway, to where I feel like I should have gotten it done and didn't. Okay. Um, so, you know, that's, that's brought a lot of confidence on just being able to, to make it work in every situation. Yeah. So, and again, in, in this barrage of wins and good rounds, again, I believe there was a, a program record 63 in there somewhere. Right. Uh, I uh, mean, I'm blanking on what tournament it was, but it was the one. It was at Lake. It was at Lake. It was at Las Vegas, correct? Um, what it was? What, yeah. what was? What was? Again, you talked about different ways to win, and and kind of your mentality being different for each one. What was the mentality for that one? Was that a hot start and okay, foot on the gas, or what? What, what was going on there that you were like, all right, sixty three is uh sixty three is doable today? Yeah, so Vegas, Vegas was uh, definitely different. Um, the first day out there. I shot 72 and it was like 30 mile an hour winds gusting to 40 and only one person broke par. And I just kind of had to tell myself to stay in it. And our practice round was the same way. And so we got some experience with that. And because of those first two rounds, like, I didn't really know what was good out there for when the wind died down. You know, I didn't know what to expect, um, you know, how gettable a course would be once the wind was down. And so the second round, um, the next day following 72 and I think I was tied second um you know the wind was like eight to ten gusting 15 so it really just wasn't much compared to what we had been playing and I went out and missed an eight footer for birdie on one I was like oh well this is how it's going to be today but then rattled off six in a row after that and all of a sudden like you're on cloud nine and you're like holy cow like I'm you know six under on a course that I shot par on yesterday thinking it was a really good round. And so at that point you have to like really lock in and, and think, okay, how do I make this better rather than just holding on for dear life the last 11 holes. So um, I hit it close on nine and turned it 29. And that was my first time shooting sub 30 in a tournament round. And so, you know, there was a little bit of a, a wave of, all right, I've got to refocus and make sure I don't get caught up in the front nine trying to go into the back nine. 
because at the end of the day, like if I were to shoot even or one over on the back nine, like, yeah, it's a good round, but you're not really going to be satisfied with that after the the good start. So I, uh, I let a couple of wedge opportunities get away early to start the back nine, but hit some close on like 14 and 15 and got to nine under. And like, I lift in a pop from four feet to get to nine under and you're thinking, Oh geez, you know, I'm going into a par five at nine under. Like I know what the school record is. I know what my tournament low is. And, um, I just kind of drew on a lot of experiences of, you know, playing back home with my friends and being nine, 10, 11 under par coming down to the last few holes and, and, uh, you know, learning how to deal with those, those situations. And I actually, I stumbled coming in, I made a bogey on 16 on a par, on the par five. Okay. Uh, which was, which was tough to swallow. And, um, but you know, you just gotta kind of keep fighting through it, I guess. And I, I picked up a nice birdie on 18 and, you know, my coach was there and a couple of my teammates were there and it was, it was a pretty cool moment. So what, what, what was your career low, maybe tournament low before that round? I had shot 64 twice. Um, once was on a par 72 up at, uh, the Chattanooga Choo Choo Invitational and the other was at the South Beach Jam. Uh, Normandy Shores and so uh, that was six under there and then yeah so the nine under round out in uh, Vegas was my tournament low. Is is that your personal low too because you mentioned being back home with friends and you you threw off that you you know you've been 10 or 11 under before just kind of casual you know like like that's an everyday occurrence for you what what's what's the personal record maybe non-tournament record? I wouldn't say, uh, I wouldn't say a normal experience, but I've, <laughs> you know, I've, I've got some hot streaks going a couple of course records here and there. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to, to get the putter hot, but, um, I've shot a couple of rounds of like 60, 61. And then there's a, there's a little par 70, like this little public course, uh, maybe 10 minutes from our campus that we go to a couple of times a year. And, uh, it's like, 5,800 yard par 70 and it'll teach you to make birdies in a hurry. Okay. And I've had a putt for 58. I've had a putt for 58 out there twice. Okay. And, uh, so I've shot 59 twice out there and you know, it's, it's not a challenging golf course, but it's something that's maybe taught me to, Sure. To get far under par in a hurry. So Yeah, because you, you, you mentioned the mentality that you talked about, which, which, which really stuck with me, where you shot the 29 at, at, uh, in Las Vegas. And it wasn't, like you said, let's hold on for the last however many holes. You were like, all right, let's go make this thing special. And I feel like, like you said, without those kind of experiences before, you wouldn't have had the mentality to like, now let's, let's, let's keep it, let's keep it going here. So I, I, all of those things to me build. Um, so again, with, with, with all of those tournament results kind of in mind, what, what kind of confidence does that build for you moving forward? You know, there's a lot of season left. I know you probably have, you know, regional national championship stuff on your mind, even at this point, what, uh, maybe not what's the expectation moving forward. I don't want to go there yet, but do you feel like confidence is building or do you, what, what, where are you at now? I guess. Yeah. I mean, confidence is, is at an all time high. Um, you know, I feel like no matter how I feel going into the event, I can go out and compete. And and that's a good feeling, especially um, going to play courses later this spring, uh, our next two events that I'm pretty familiar with. Um, and I feel like, you know, I've had experience on those courses before. And so from a confidence standpoint, um, you know, I feel like I'm in a pretty good spot and just kind of relying on preparation, relying on experience and, and learning kind of how to peak at the right time. Um, okay. It's given me a lot of confidence and it's something that I've been thinking about and talking about a lot lately and whether it actually works or is true or not, I don't know, but it's almost like this sense of confidence that it gives me. And I'll, I'll try to break it down. Basically like I, you know, the, the, the spring season especially is a lot of events in a short period of time and you feel like you have to play well in all of them. And so, you know, between events, you don't want to be peaking. You have to be playing well at the right times, you know, very specifically at the right times. And so I feel like the routine that I'm trying to create for myself is one where, you know, I may not be playing well throughout the week, um, you know, at least what I wouldn't consider on the top of my game. And then by the time I get to our practice round before the tournament, like things are kind of coming together, but they're not great. And then the morning of the first round or the 36 whole day or, or whatever it might be, like I really start to get it together. And, and then by the final round, like I want to be playing my best golf on the final round of, you know, like that back nine. And so I've got that mindset where like I'm building up for each event and, and getting it together, I guess, for, 
for the back nine to be able to make a push or to be able to hit shots that kind of put away the tournament. So, so, so you mentioned that being kind of like an intentional lead up, an intentional routine. Do, do you have like an mm-hmm. like a, a like a a routine you stick to tournament week, whether it be practice or you know, I know you guys get into other things too, like sleep and nutrition and all that stuff. If it's intentional, what does that routine look like to make sure you are peaking at the right time, like you mentioned? I typically will make it to where I'll work on my mechanics some like midweek, um, but nothing crazy. Maybe pound some drivers and then and then work on you know my my iron swing and just make sure it looks like what it's supposed to look like. And then the back end of the week, maybe like the two days leading up before the tournament, are just short game and wedges. That way, there's not really like a swing expectation going into the tournament. Interesting. Um, you know, I, I focus a lot inside six feet uh, for putting and and just making sure I have all the shots around the greens that I need. Um, and then outside of golf, yeah, you mentioned sleep. That's important. Uh, college students don't get enough of that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but my workout routine as well has become something that is it's kind of an outlet for me but it's also something I feel like it's helped my game. And I started working out a lot more consistently and it's something that's part of my daily habit. And I feel like if I don't do it, then I'm missing something. I started that, I want to say back in June. And since then, like, honestly, I've had the best stretch of golf of my life. And I think right now with that, that buildup routine that I was mentioning, um, like throughout the week, I'm kind of sore and I don't mind that because you know, I don't have to be playing good golf and I don't have to feel well about my body and everything throughout the week. But then in that practice round, you, know, like you have that little bit of soreness still. And then the next morning, like it's mostly gone. And so along with starting to swing it better as I get further into the tournament, like my body feels better and better as I get into the tournament. So. Very interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, again, I think both me and our listeners, I think can, I won't say relate, but would appreciate you going through that just because Listen, when I show up for my Saturday morning round, I have not prepared during the week. So hearing, hearing what you go through during a week during the week is, is aspirational. Is aspirational. Uh, so, so, so tell me a little bit about your game here. What, what do you feel like some of your strengths are? Um, maybe when, again, when you get off the van, when you're the private jet, whatever you guys are taking to tournaments, what do you feel like always shows up for you? Is it the driving? Is it the iron play? What is, what is Beck Burnett good at? Well, I can assure you it's not a private jet, at least not yet. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe we'll get to that point. I'm going to have to talk to Coach about that. Okay. But, um, but as far as strengths of my game, I would definitely say it's my iron play, like short irons, wedges, and and truly just GIRs. Um, I feel like I can par any course to death, and then when I get hot, I'll make some birdies, you know? And I just kind of feel like I have this, sixth sense for standing over the ball and just kind of feeling everything around me and and knowing where to hit it and how to hit it there. And a lot of that's experience. A lot of that's preparation. It's knowing which side of the hole I'm going to miss it on and which side of the hole, like you don't want to touch. And I feel like I can control my landing spots with my irons, you know, as well as anybody I play against. And, and that's kind of my asset and what I build my game around. I'd really just, like I work to get it in play off the tee. And once I'm in play, I'm, I feel like I'm not really going to make any mistakes from there. And so I can rely on like that 180 and end game um, to really keep myself out of trouble. But it's, yeah, so it's just like managing my misses and kind of, like it's funny, I'll have a left pen or a right pen and even with a wedge, I'll have to sometimes convince myself like, okay, like you can go at this, like you can go right at this pin because you have a good number and you're swinging it well. And then even then I'll just subconsciously miss it on the side you're supposed to miss it on. Sure. And I, I sometimes can't even help it because it's so like ingrained into the way that I swing when I see certain pins in certain situations. So. Do you, so do you feel like with, with, the, with the strength being your, your iron play in wedges, you said 180 in, do you feel like what makes you really good at that is, is, um, a feel thing. Cause some, you know, Tiger always talks about a lot of his swing thoughts and stuff for feel and kind of his feel for, for iron play and such, but others are, you know, my mechanics are really good or very data driven in, in how they know their numbers and distances. Where do you feel like you, you, you land on that, um, on that scale as far as, you know, feel data mechanics, all that stuff. What's, what's the combination for you and your iron play? I would say it's mostly feel with some mechanics and not as much data. Okay. Um, the feel part to me, like, I feel like I can hit four different clubs from the same spot and make them all work. 
based on, you know, wind or slope on the green or whatever it be. And, you know, if I've got 132 with wind out of the right, you know, and it's a situation where I don't want to ride the wind uh, right to left with, you know, a gap wedge or a pitching wedge or whatever, I can take a nine iron and hold it against it and make it take off distance in order to hit the landing spot that I want to hit. And so I think I kind of have a feel for being able to use the wind as a buffer or like read my lie properly, or there's just a lot of factors I feel like go into every iron shot I hit. And it's funny, like, it's not like that for me at all off the tee. When I, when I get up to a tee shot with a driver, it's very just see ball, hit ball. And, you know, I, I don't pick really, really small targets. I just feel like I get up there and, and see the fairway and, it, and, and I kind of put it out there. Whereas on an iron play, it's like super analytical in a way where I feel out kind of every variable. Sure. Sure. What, what, what do you think again, moving forward would, would take your game? If there is a next level, which I'm sure you got some left in the tank, what do you think a part of your game would be um, that would maybe take you to the next level, get, get you to, you know, the next, the next, whatever the next is. I think it would be my chipping and pitching. Um, I've struggled off and on with it over the last couple of years. Um, you know, it's been some times where I feel like I struggle on the par fives because I may not get up and down like I should. Um, you know, some situations where I have a pretty simple chip shot and just don't give myself the the top end birdie or the birdie look that I need. Um, and because I, I grew up not a great ball striker. I, you know, kind of kind of humble beginning municipal public course without a driving range. And so I learned to just kind of slap it around and get up and down. And then coming to college, like, I got way, way better in my ball striking. And then the short game suffered a little bit after that. And I don't know if there's like a mental block of, you know, I'm used to shooting a certain number and, and suddenly like I strike it way better, but mentally, like you tell yourself, you still shoot 68 when you play well. And so something's got to give, and maybe that's Hmm. not getting up and down on the par fives or, you know, so it's, it's, I feel like it's kind of deeper than just struggling with pitching. You know, it's, it's getting over the threshold of, you know, what's normal for me and whether that, and if that's like shooting lower numbers, you know, and, and something like in the pitching might be holding me back there. That's interesting. That's an, that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, so you, you, you talked about humble beginnings, getting the Lee. What, uh, what was that recruitment process like for you? How, how did you end up at Lee? Well, first of all, where is Lee, Lee university for those that don't know? Where, where are you guys on the map? So Lee is in a town called Cleveland, Tennessee, which is just east of Chattanooga. Okay. Uh, it's a good spot here in the, uh, here in the mountains. And, you know, the weather's all right. Um, it's hot and humid in the summers. And right now it's like 46 and raining uh, in the middle of March. So you never know really what you're going to get. <laughs> um, but yeah, recruiting wise, um, I grew up about an hour and a half from here down in Georgia. Okay. And, uh, so it wasn't too far from home for me. And I was like that homeschool kid who, you know, wasn't looking to get too far from home. And, and so Lee was a good fit for me, uh, you know, for that reason. And then also I really was just looking at like small Christian schools in the Southeast. Like that's what I wanted to, that's what I wanted to find. That's the community I wanted to be a part of. And, and Lee really fit that bill for me because I felt like, it was somewhere where if I didn't play golf, it was where I wanted to go to school. And I am a firm believer that if you put yourself in the environment that is going to grow you as a person, it's a lot easier to grow as a golfer because it's just not as many like side things to worry about. And so that was a big draw for me as well. And then just the idea that, um, you know, a school like Lee, you know, being consistently before I got, even got here, a top 25 team in D2, you know, you're looking at a chance to win every tournament and, you know, have good vibes with the guys every week rather than, you know, I, I was a, I was a pretty good junior player, but I wasn't going to go somewhere higher than, you know, like a mid-major school where, you know, I would play, but it wouldn't really feel like you're accomplishing that much um, by finishing, you know, in the middle of the pack every week. So, that was another big draw and just how awesome it was to be a part of like a successful team. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the most underrated things too, with, you know, 
picking where you want to play college golf is if that is something that, you know, junior players are considering is like the memories you make, which some of that for people is, is winning. Like you want to be able to have your name on the wall at the end or the, you know, your name on the trophy and make memories with your teammates and so on and so forth. And it, I think if you look at just simply the results you all have had, this has paid off for you quite a bit with what you were looking for, right? You guys are defending national champions have, have won a bunch of tournaments. You won individually. So it's like good choice, Beck. That was a really good choice. Um, I did want to talk about too. So you get there your freshman year um, and correct me if I'm wrong. Your freshman year was COVID year, right? It was. Yeah. So you, so you play till I can't remember the exact date, but I think we were basically shut down March 13th, 16th around there. You had already had a pretty decent freshman year to start. Um, What was getting that news like to start your college career off the way that nobody else until you know your class had 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 started a a college golf season off. What what was that experience like doing the navigating all the COVID stuff, both freshman year and maybe even getting back into it sophomore year too? It was uh, it was a confusing time, honestly, because um, really no one knew what was going on. We didn't know if um, you know what was going to happen. But but it's funny looking at it from a, a smaller perspective that that we might have had was the biggest concern was whether we were going to get to play any more golf and you know and that's all we were really worried about and so uh, I mean my freshman year was great just to kind of circle back to that uh, you know getting acclimated and everything was you know I'd had a good experience and with my coaches and my my teammates and everything and and yeah it, everything shut down it was about this time um, you know 2020 yeah. Yeah. and we had just played um, an event it was Valdosta State's event and we were kind of getting ready for our next tournament. And when all of a sudden, like everyone's going home and uh, there was just a lot of, a lot of conversations that I'd have with my coach over the summer and, and late spring of like, you know, Hey, how is it possible that we play golf, you know, in this later this spring and like his national championships going to be canceled and are we going to have a postseason? And then, and then it kind of progressed into, are we even going to be able to play next fall? And what's that going to look like? And, you know, we played tournaments where, it's like, oh, when you're on the putting green, you have to have a mask on. And so that was like to start sophomore year. And so, um, you know, it, at the same time, that's been one of those things where a couple of years past that we look back and, you know, nobody really thinks about it anymore, um, at least down here. And, and so it's something that has been nice to kind of move on from. But, but yeah, it was definitely like a, a worrying time um, yeah. as far as like when you're thinking about your college golf career and, you know, the things you want to accomplish and maybe it's something that you can't do anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned no private jets at this point, or at least to your knowledge, but, but uh, you know, for those again, that are not familiar with D2 golf, what, what has that experience been like playing division two golf? You know, I, I get to look at all the tournaments as far as where you guys are playing and it's a pretty good tournament. There's some really good teams or some really good players. What has been the, the, the best part about D2 golf, maybe the competition level, some of the places you've been, what's your experience been like at uh, playing D2 golf? Um, so I want to, I'll share a quick story okay. uh, about the the lows of D2 golf. Um, <laughs> now, granted, I have loved every minute of playing D2 golf and I wouldn't change a thing. Um, but my very first college tournament was over at uh, Kiowa Island at Osprey Point. And I was playing the five bag, my first ever tournament. And we were playing with a school. I won't, I won't name the school, but, um, but let's, let's say they looked like maybe some uh, former middle school football players. They didn't really look like golfers. <laughs> and, um, and you can kind of get that in some of the, some of the D2, the lower end D2 events. And uh, I had a teammate who played with a guy who after the first round just walked off the course and was like, ah, I'll see you next time guys. And, and their coach is like, hi, man, not again. Like, we need you out there. Like, you can't do this again. And the guy's like, sorry, like, I'll be waiting in the pro shop. <laughs> and so, you know, there's some, some, some things that happen like that, uh, you know, maybe at the lower end. And then, um, <laughs> but I will say, uh, you know, for the most part, like I said, D2 has been awesome. And there's a lot of really closely knit groups, um, I'd say, like, between teams even. And, like, everybody knows everybody. Like, I have relationships with a lot of the players that we play against and I know a lot of the coaches that um that we see at other events and and uh you know you get paired with a lot of the same guys over and over again and it just becomes comfortable and you, you build friendships and um I'd say the biggest thing is 
you just see a lot of guys in D2 who really enjoy where they are in life. Like Hmm. you would think that it's just like the misfits and the guys who weren't good enough. But honestly, like it's, you don't really see the guys who are frustrated that they weren't good enough to go D1, you know? And I don't think that, I think that's a misconception on, on division two is that they just weren't good enough to play D1. It's, it's more just like, these are the guys that, you know, maybe didn't want the, the lifestyle that, you know, goes into some of the top schools or, or wanted to stay close to home or didn't really have the, the resources um, to be, you know, to get recruited and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's, a, it's just a cool group of guys uh, in D2. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so again, moving forward, you got a whole lot of season left. Um, again, you are all defending national champions. What is, with 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 this this hot streak, both teams because you guys are number two in the country now. I think behind Anderson, you guys have climbed the last couple of weeks after some wins. Um, what is and you and you talked about a little bit managing expectations and confidence and all that good stuff, all those buzzwords. What's what's the expectation moving forward? What what, what do you want to accomplish? This is senior year. I have no clue if you're coming because you probably still got a COVID year too, right? I do. Are you yeah. are you coming back for COVID year, or have you undecided? I, I am pr- most. Yeah, I'm almost certain I'm going to play a fifth year. So. Interesting. Also, are we breaking news here? Did I just break some news? No, 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 no. Okay, it's, just uh, checking. I didn't know. Private, I didn't so. know if I was like a journalist now or anything like that. Okay, just checking. <laughs> Add Adam Shefty over here. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, expectations for the spring. I just think, uh, the only thing cooler than winning a natty is, is winning two of them. You know, I'm sitting here at my desk in my apartment, I've got a national championship ring next to me on my desk. And like, you know, that was the coolest thing I've ever been a part of whether, you know, that's on or off the golf course. And so we fully expect that we have the guys to do it again. Like we didn't lose anybody from our, from our mm-hmm. five that won nationals and we added a pretty good player and we've had a couple guys step up and play well um, who weren't in the lineup last year. And so we have, you know, 10 guys on the team and I feel like everybody can contribute and and push us down the line and, and push us to get better. And so, um, so yeah, goals for the spring, like it's really just getting back into the postseason and, and getting everybody fired up and to do it again. So. Yeah. Is, is, is that middle match play? Cause we talk about it a lot on our podcast, Ian and Carol, I've been to, I've been to the last D2 men's national championship I went to was at um, PJ national a couple of years back. I think it was, uh, which was, God bless that place. Uh, what 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 is what is the medal match play format like as a as a national championship decider? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Is it a different mentality? I actually do like it. Um, I didn't think I would, and you hear a lot of people talk about uh, that they don't like it, and I think it's because they haven't done it honestly. Because um, match play is just so normal for people, and then they think, um, oh, medal play that sounds silly. Um, but maybe one of the reasons I like it is because it matches up well for our team. I feel like, because I think top to bottom, um, you know, we have five guys who can beat everybody else's five guys. And so it kind of works out for us, um, you know, to, to match up well with other teams in that format. Um, it's something we, we preach here at Lee is, you know, that we're big closers and there's no situation that, we're not going to close out well. It doesn't matter if you're breaking 80 or breaking 70 or winning a national championship. Um, we close really well. And in match play, you know, your your round might be over. You lose four and three on the 15th hole or you win six and five, you know, earlier in the round. But in metal play, like, you don't get that. If you're six up with four to play, you got to find a way to, uh, to, you know, not mess up coming in. Just because you're way up doesn't mean, you know, anything can't happen at the end. And so that kind of feeds into what I think we're good at and that's, and that's finishing off uh, tournaments really well. And we had in the final match against Oklahoma Christian back in May, um, we had a couple guys make late charges and come back and win their matches. And if that was match play, you know, they might've been over a little bit earlier than that. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm just biased because we've sure. done well in it, but I do like the, I do like the format though. Um, and so I'll, I'll mention, you mentioned PGA national. Gosh, that was that was a bloodbath out there. It was blowing. <laughs> it, was. it was blowing a constant twenty-five to thirty with like firm greens rolling thirteen and a half, and the rough was up, and it was just a joke out there. Like I don't, I think I broke eighty like one out of the four rounds, <laughs> and 
uh, say goodbye to the career scoring average that week, right? But, which, um, which was funny too, because like it was perfect, like literally perfect storm. Like PJ National is not a place you want to play when it's blowing 30. Like that is not a fun place to play when yeah. like, all those, you know what I mean? And then also same thing you said, like there were a lot of matches, metal play matches um, that like, four shot lead, whatever, didn't matter going into the last hole because you never knew what could happen the last two or three holes. And those matches could get flipped because of those, the conditions mixed with the golf course was, was a recipe for some, some interesting things for sure. Yeah. I think, uh, the, the bear trap there at, at PGA national with a three shot lead was, uh, you know, you were shaking in your boots there on the, on the par threes on the bear traps. <laughs> it wasn't a lot of fun. No, oh, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did not have a club in my hand. I, I will tell you that. Uh, last, last serious question before we get out of here on some fun. Uh, you said you're coming back for the fifth year, but obviously after that, you're not allowed to come back or at least to my knowledge. What, what are your, what are your plans after college? Are we thinking pro career going to go get a regular guy job? What, what, what are you thinking after college? Uh, I am going to play, you know, professional golf, um, to start off and, I don't know the exact route I'm going to take. I'm going to spend a lot of time my fifth year kind of putting together a plan, um, you know, monetarily and and schedule wise to figure out what route I want to take, because I feel like there's a lot of different ways to do it now, whether that's, you know, KFDQ school or, or Q school or Monday qualifiers or Canada tour, or, you know, there's, there's lots of options now and just kind of have to look at which ones, uh, match up with my game the best. And, and honestly, I'm leaning toward KFTQ school just because I feel like consistency is my biggest asset. And I feel like on just about any course I can put together for, you know, respectable rounds, you know, red numbers. And, and those go obviously a long way in Q school of, of moving through stages, like stage by stage and being able to play well week in and week out. You know, because you don't have to shoot 64 a bunch of times. You just have to kind of be consistent 67 to 70, you know, four rounds in a row, and you're going to be right there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, definitely I am going to give professional golf a shot, and I feel like over the last year or so, that's becoming more and more clear to me that that's what I'm meant to do. And just from all the improvements and, and consistency and everything that's improved over the last over the last year. But, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. It, it sounds again, like it's something you're, you're kind of amped for and ready for and prepared mentally for, and you've obviously put in the work. So like, oh, yeah. that's awesome. That's good stuff. All right. We'll, we'll get out of here with some fun. I like to, you know, keep, keep my guests on some, on their toes. We're going to speak specifically about you here. So I apologize to your teammates. We're not going to talk about them today, but I've got, I think it's eight rapid fire questions. Somewhat right. You can have a little bit of time to think about it, but we'll, we'll see how this goes. You ready? All righty. All right, let's do it. Let's say you do do this PGA tour uh, career and you're playing professional golf and at the end of it, they make a movie for you about you. Who's the one actor you would want to play or who you would want to play you in a movie? Oh gosh. Um, and who, who's the guy that, uh, that plays the main character in seven days in Utopia. <laughs> I've never even heard of that movie. No way. It's no. like one of the best golf movies out there. Seven days in Utopia. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can't think of it, but Lucas Black. Yeah, he's not like a famous actor. It's just like okay, I think I know. Golf movie. He yeah, actually, actually had golf experience. So. Okay, L Lucas Black. So maybe Lucas maybe not. Maybe 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 we start that part over. I don't. I couldn't think of anything. No, you're but. good. That's a good answer. Lucas Black, it is. All right, pineapple on pizza. Are you a pineapple on pizza guy, or should it be on pizza? Absolutely not. I like pineapple, but I don't like it warm, so it can't be on pizza. Good, good question or uh, good answer. Good answer. Is hot is a hot dog a sandwich? No, it's a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. It, to me, it just doesn't like, meant, like, I don't care what the definition is. It, it just shouldn't be a sandwich, right? Like, I, I don't go and order like a hot dog sandwich. It's a hot dog. Good, good answer. Good answer. Exactly. Exactly. If you, if you had to have one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would that meal be? Oh, uh, gosh. Like a, some kind of rice bowl. Okay. Are I you, eat rice every meal. Are you a Chipotle guy, Qdoba guy? So we have a place in Cleveland called Dos Bros, and it uh, it's way better than Chipotle. So Yikes, that breaks you know, my all heart. the all the Wii guys will stand by that. <laughs> what, what, what's it called again? Dos Bros. Dos Bros. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Uh, shout out to them. <laughs> a little nil deal there, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who, who's the most listened to artist on your Spotify or Apple playlist or, or Apple Music? Um. Gosh. 
or who do you think it is? My, uh, my, my teammates, my teammates uh, have turned me into a little bit more of a country listener than I was before. Okay. And uh, I mean, I'll, I'll go basic. I mean, Morgan Wallen's up there. I'm sorry to say. Okay. <laughs> no shame. No shame. Uh, what's one thing you always keep in your golf bag other than your golf clubs, obviously, but something that's a little bit different than you would typically see in a golf bag. Any, anything that, that always stays in there. The first thing that comes to my mind is I have a golf ball signed by my coach, Coach Maupin, after I beat him in a nine-hole match my freshman year, and it hasn't left my bag since then. And we played for a signed golf ball that day. That's that's funny. Is he a pretty good golfer? Does he does he challenge the team? He is. He is. Yeah, like, he'd probably be in our lineup. Yeah. Really, like that good? Yeah, he uh, he can. He's very much the like big competitor, and so when we play like little team matches, he always plays and. And if we're not careful, he'll whoop us. So, which which is so funny when when you, when you mentioned that he's a, a big competitor, I feel like most of the coaches that I run into, that's like the common trait is like none of them like to lose. Like all of the coaches mm-hmm. that I run into, is like above all else, they obviously they care for their, their student athletes as well, but like above all else, they don't like losing. Uh, let's see, if you could be in person inside the ropes for one historical major championship, what would it be? At any point in time. Any point in time? Um, the very first thing that that struck my mind, because I, I saw something about it today, was was Hogan's one iron at, on 18 at Marion. Interesting. So, so inside the rope, you I can think, stand right next to him. That's the one you'd be be uh, be in person for. Yeah, I just think I just think that shot had to have sounded just so good. <laughs> that's that's interesting. I, I would have never gone that far back, but that's an interesting one to pick, just because. I don't know. Yeah, I never, I never get a thing that came to my mind. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right. Last one. And you can take a little bit more time to think about this. I've got a stock answer and, and maybe I'll tell you my answer after you give yours, but what's the largest animal you think you can take in a fight? <laughs> oh gosh. Um, not a big one. Not much of a fighter. <laughs> maybe, uh, Maybe a little black lab or something, you know. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people go for dog, which sounds Medium terrible. Medium to large size dog. <laughs> All right, hear, hear me out on this one. This is this is my stock answer: a giraffe. You know, I thought about giraffes, and then I just think they're a little too big. <laughs> they're massive, but their knees are wobbly. Like if I can get one leg, if oh. I can, that that or at least that's my thought. I've never like actually obviously tried to attack a giraffe, but I'm thinking if I if I can get a giraffe at the knees, then it's done, right? Like it just collapses. It's got nothing left. You've got a point. Maybe uh, maybe if I had a rope, too, it could, could really mess with them. <laughs> that, that might be it. Well, hey, Beck, I appreciate you joining me, man. Appreciate you having some fun. Good luck the rest of the year. Obviously, I'm going to be watching because it's what I do for work, but I'm also a college golf fan. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be watching, man. I really appreciate you joining. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. I've enjoyed the time. And, uh, yeah, thanks for, for keeping up with the D2 boys and, and shedding some light on us. And there's a lot of good players out here in D2, and you know, it's good to be represented. So. So thanks for everything. Absolutely. Hopefully you won't be the last, but thank you for being the first, man. Make it memorable, gentlemen. All right, we're going to talk about a little bit of college golf here. I've got Carolyn and Ian back with me. Um, an eventful week. I think a lot of teams, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this, I think a lot of them were on, like, spring break. Um, so it was kind of a – I don't know how to describe the events this week. It, it was interesting, <laughs> it, it, to, to say the least. I don't think either on the – There was a lot of them, but it, was it just a, wasn't – uh, Yes, exactly. There yeah. was a lot of them, but you didn't necessarily have your, like – Mm-hmm. Mark, at least from a D1 standpoint, maybe your marquee event or anything like that, where all the big number names or whatever were in the same field. But you did have some quality events. Um, a, a lot of, and, we, and we'll get to D1 a little bit later, honestly, but a lot, some of the D1 ones seem to be like the 500 rule events where like some teams were trying to pick up some dubs so they could be okay for the 500 rule, but we'll get there later. I, I kind of want to start, if it's okay with you guys, I want to start uh, with D2 actually. So like, to me, if we're going to say a marquee event, to me, it was the Southeastern Collegiate uh, at Kinderloo Forest hosted by uh, Valdosta, which shout out to coach Jared Purvis. I believe it's their event. Um, and it was, it was fun. So you've got uh so this, again, we always talk ranking at the time of the event when it was going on. You got number three, Lee University, number seven, West Florida, number four, Barry, six, Nova Southeastern, 
Lincoln Memorial, Tampa, St. Uh, St. Leo, Georgia Southwestern at 10. Those other th- uh, three teams I named are all in the top 20. Uh, shorter in there, Columbus State. Okay, so a bunch of ranked teams. And it and it was it was nice it, uh, to, for me, at least, to kind of see some firepower at the top. I mean, you had your four best teams end up being the four best uh, scores in the event. So Lee ended up winning by six. The final round, 278, minus 10. Goodness gracious. Uh, West Florida right, be- uh, right before that, or right after that, um, at nine under, Barry at eight under, Nova Southeastern to plus one. Um, I bring up this event, honestly, just because we've talked about D2, I feel like a little bit more than maybe even like our listeners were expecting, but it seems D2 is like, I keep saying is really fun, both men's and women's this year. Um, so let's, let's just kind of start and dissect um, what we've seen specifically in this tournament. What, what do you guys want to start with? Um, just, just maybe with the results here. I know Carolyn had something about Barry. So let's just start with that. How did you know? <laughs> We were yeah. thinking about recording this two days ago, and we've been sitting on it waiting to hear what you had to say. So, that all right, true. go ahead, go ahead, Carolyn, give it to me. But I mean, great for them for getting a third place. Also, AJ tying for a third, so it's nice to see him kind of getting back up uh, in that top five finish area. So, maybe yeah. not still scary. Barry isn't necessarily scary, but I mean, they're kind of creeping up there. It was, it was so funny. I got to admit full transparency here because I know you had put that in the text thread, the, the Barry is scary thing. Uh-huh. And you know how I do my leaderboard threads on Tuesday mornings? I was going through the leaderboard and I was about I was about to text or put in the tweet, Barry is scary. And I was like, Carolyn's going to be so... Well, I thought you were going to be mad because I stole it from oh, you. No, and no, I, no. I figured you wanted to get it on audio first before I started stealing your phrases and stuff like that. Uh-uh. So You I actually was, said that. I, I wrote it down. I have... Oh, you I put, said it? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You said it in one of our podcasts before where Barry... Barry is scary. And then I have another one written down for, I can't wait for Pepperdine. Pepperdine has to do something because I have Ian's quote of Pepperdine done, done it. I've got two of those. I don't, that sounds more like Marcus than me. No. I, would, I didn't no, say Pepperdine the pod, done, done it. You, Cause uh, Marcus goes Pepper done. And then you were like, oh, Pepper yeah, done, that, done, that, done that, it. That, so I was see, like, that's what it was. Perfect. Yeah. It was, it was like, uh, yeah, we connected with each other. There. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, I'm not creative enough to come up with that on my own. <laughs> so yeah, so, yeah eight, you should have used it. I should have. I, I I was trying to give you credit for it, but maybe I guess I did. Maybe I did see uh, say it. So AJ Ewer started on hole seven in the final round because he did have the lead for, for I won't say most of the tournament, but um, there was a point where he for sure had a lead. A um, couple bogeys on the back nine, which again would have been his hole, maybe 11, 12, 13, somewhere around there. So hole 12, 14, 17, a couple bogeys, but then finished with some birdies to kind of get back to get back to um, top five. But like you said, we're getting closer. Maybe this is a trend for AJ to kind of get back to winning a whole bunch of tournaments. You also have the guys that have been playing well in the lineup and are still ranked highly playing well. So Felipe Alvarez, T17. Uh, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mika Mackinnon, I feel like is a new name. Or at least the name I don't remember as much saying the same as, you know, like I, I remember saying seeing Santiago. I remember seeing Amani D'Ambrosio or D'Ambrosio. But I feel like I haven't seen the three guy yet. I could be wrong. I, I'm I'm fine with being wrong. But either way, T19 for him, T7 for Santiago. So if they keep getting that kind of support and AJ starts to really, really click, like you said, Barry could be scary. Um, but then Lee, you know, for me, Lee is kind of, I feel like we focused a lot on Barry. We focused a lot on, on Anderson, right? Because they racked up a bunch of wins too. But uh, which one of you guys was at D1 men's, or sorry, D2 men's championship last year? I me because I did all men's. Who, that's right. Who won? Uh, that's a that's a very good question. <laughs> it's a trick question because we're it's, talking about that team. Is it Lee? It's Lee. Lee. <laughs> Imagine that, right? So Lee, you're the day. Now. The day is all run together. Uh, listen, really the, the trips all Once run May together happens. too. The years it's all run together. Like, trust me. Yeah. So so Lee was Lee the defending national champion at least according to my research, which wasn't extensive. I just had to pull up a leaderboard. But Lee. What is your defending national champion? They have started to climb the last couple of weeks ranking standpoint, right? They, I don't think they've really been outside of the top 10, if if at all, but they have kind of to climb. Okay. Now we're, now we're five, now we're four, now we're three. And I think they're two this week. Um, so they've continued to climb. They've got an outstanding individual in Beck Burnett, you know, which I've had the opportunity to talk to three straight wins for him. I think. <laughs> I, so again, I was doing a little bit of research before I, before I get to, uh, got the chance to talk to him. His he's got, I think it's eight total losses on the year, maybe seven. 
His only losses on the year, so raw head-to-head wins losses, are to the number two player, three player, four player, five player, six player in the country. And then I think it's like 26 and 37. So those are his <laughs> only losses the entire year. And it's only one singular to each of those players, I'm assuming, exactly. correct? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's one singular yeah. loss to those players. So to say that your losses to the, like, essentially your only losses have been to the players that are ranked directly behind you in the top seven, right? That's pretty impressive. So again, they've got a guy that's really balling out. Um, he's been a really good player in previous years, but this is taking it to another level. Um, so would be interesting to see what Lee, write that one down, Carolyn. See what I did there? <laughs> Not not as good as Barry is scary. Oh, Sorry. man. All right. All right. <laughs> not memorable. It'll be interesting to, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see uh, if Lee continues this. Again, if they push Anderson, right? Because, again, we keep talking about Anderson, 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 wins, wins, wins. But like you, we've said, Metal Match plays something different. Um, they ran they they ran through the whole thing last year, so they've obviously got the experience with I think they've got um, – I think Bex is senior. And then you've got – I think in this lineup it was maybe two sophomores and a junior – or two juniors, something around. So it's an experienced lineup. They've done it before. So if you bring them back, it's something they're, uh, they, 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 um, that they're used to that kind of format. So it'd be, it would be interesting once we get to that format again, if they're, if they make it that far. So, um, also wanted to mention again, we can get away from this tournament a little bit as well. Just if you look around at the rest of the, the rest of the tournaments, D2 wise, both men and women kind of, I won't say your favorites, but like people kept winning Henderson state. I think both men and women, uh, one and they've both got six wins. I think now both the men's and women's program have six wins on the year. Uh, Anderson is a good one on the men's side because you're beating Oklahoma Christian, that's which right. is that's a big right. win yeah. for them. And yep. yeah, huge yep. win. Yeah, yep. So they they beat the number two team in the country at the time, Oklahoma Christian. So that was a good win for them. Um, which, go ahead. I do also this is like really random, but I really do like it and I appreciate it. Did you see the message they put on there on their leaderboard? I don't think so. So it says, congratulations, Theodore Noss. I think it's how you say his last name. SNU player made first hole in one on number eight. Like I nice. like when they do little shout outs like yeah. that. Like, that's like... <laughs> Especially for hole in ones. The hole in ones ones are yeah. good. But yeah, <laughs> I won't I won't get into the ones that give us the, the weather updates. Those are always the funny ones, too. That tell shout, me. Out, shout out to the Southwestern every year. The winds and there's a nice breeze out of the east this morning. <laughs> we're in a bit of a frost funny, delay, but there's some, you know, the morning dew is settling and we're about to tee off here. We received Gee, point, they're just trying to set the mood, oh, you know? Man. We, re- we received 0.3 inches of rain last night. Yeah. The groundhog uh, saw his shadow. <laughs> I love yeah. those. Uh, DBU women won. I'm pretty sure. Uh, what was the other one I wanted to mention? Oh, and I think was it Anderson that won? Maybe not. But anyways, a lot of our favorites won again. So we're continuing to see the best in the country continue to win, strong field or not. Um, D2 is going to be fun this year. I'm, I'm really excited. I know I won't be on site for those championships, but I'm I'm really excited for how those championships are playing out or can potentially play out with how many teams are in contention there. This um, is probably a bad question, but who is going to that, Carolyn? You. Both of you guys. D2? Yeah, you're going to D2 women. I think I have men's again. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was was saying. I knew D2 women. I I was asking D2 men. I was like, who's going to that? I was like, honestly, I don't even know. (laughs) Yeah, Carolyn's going. Carolyn's going to be there again. Uh, All right, we can move on to – let's hop around with some D1 stuff a little bit. Um, Let's start with – Florida State hosts the Seminole Inter- Intercollegiate. They win by 38. Um, a chance for, I don't think they needed this for the 500 rule. I mean, they were the eighth ranked team in the country anyway. But again, hosting uh, hosting their own event, uh, um, they won by a lot. So the women's team will be hosting at the same golf course. I think they start tomorrow, which we're recording this on a Thursday night. So Friday, they, they'll start Friday and then go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so pretty cool that the golf course is hosting two collegiate tournaments back to back, essentially. It's um, pretty and, new too, right? That golf course? I'm pretty I, I sure it's, it's new within the last few there. years. Or, it's either yeah. new or they just kind of did like a renovation, yeah, restoration okay. kind of deal. Yeah. Um, Question for you. Yes. This just kind of just came in my head. You might not know the answer off the top of your head. I'm assuming you don't, but what what is the highest ranked team in our ranking ever to not make the tournament based on 500 rule? Was it Alabama last year? Or what would you, off the top of your head, can you remember in the last six years? I'm trying to think about what, like, because, I mean, you can't be 
you can't have a ton of losses and be a top 10 team. Like it just doesn't, it's not possible, but I would like to know like what the actual highest, not highest ranked team was that didn't make it based on 500. I, 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 I don't have that off the top of I mean, my Alabama head. Alabama was pretty high. I don't remember exactly yeah. what they were. I'd have to pull up a report from last year, but yeah, I mean, I, that, I'd find that interesting to see what the, the highest rated team was to ever not make it just based on head to head wins and losses. Yeah. I, Alabama was up there. There was one year that Stanford was pretty close with like one or two events left going into conference championship, something like that. Yeah. And, and they were ranked pretty high. Like they may have been in the teens and, and, and like in like the last couple of weeks had kind of gotten there. That may have been like it was it was either like the year, the year they won. It was I was going to say it was either that year or the year after one of the two. Yeah, I mean, they some, something funky they like that. The per, proverbial favorite that year. I mean, that yeah. was it might have been the year they won it again. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'll, since we're recording, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little Intel here. Cause I sent an email. Well, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Hold on. Yeah. Is this a cuttable part? Should we put no, a timestamp right. no, on I'm putting this? it in there. Like... So, I've, so again, obviously, <laughs> obviously that we've been talking about 500 rule. And since we're talking about it, you mentioned the highest ranked teams to not make it to postseason. Okay. I don't mean to stir the pot, but I did. Well, I was going to say, yeah, before I, you go, uh, that was just a uh, general question. Nothing shaded any programs ever. I don't want to be on anybody's he wants bad to list. Cover himself. Of course, man. You try to throw me, you no, try to throw me in the fire a few I'm not, times. I'm not, yeah. I'm not. I'm going to the women's side because the rule is coming up. And I want. Oh, yeah. I want, did you do some research on who would be in and out? Yeah. I, I did. I was so thinking about that too. Here's the teams that were, and this may have been, so I, this was on uh, March 9th when I did this, right? So I'm just going to read the teams inside the top 65 or yeah, inside the top 65 at that point that were below 500. And I'll tell you about how much. Okay. And it's got their ranking. So number 24, Duke minus two, number 33, Arkansas minus 15, number 34, Michigan minus nine, number 49, North Carolina minus 12, number 40, California was plus one. Okay. So right around there, number 46, Tennessee minus one, Number 38, Michigan State, plus four. Number 47, Alabama, minus 24. Number 52, Purdue, minus nine. NC State, minus six. They're ranked 48. 55, Illinois, um, minus 34. Number 54, or sorry, number, yeah, number 54, UNLV, minus three. Oregon State's minus 13. Oklahoma, minus 14. Kansas, minus four. Then Furman and Washington at 59 and 63. Minus 31 and minus 37. The fact that there's double digits and the like fact, yes. big, big, big double big, digits. Big. There are some teams that are going to have to make some adjustments to scheduling because you can't make up minus 31 and minus 37 when we start to actually implement this thing, you know? And th so the reason I brought that up, Ian, is because you talked about the highest no, ranked yeah. team too. And I'm kind of staring at Arkansas at minus 15 being the 33rd ranked team in the country, that kind of deal, or, you know, is would be kind of around where you typically see something like that, where, Okay, they're below 500, but they've scheduled really hard. And Arkansas plays a really good schedule, you know. And and honestly, that's not something they're worried about at this point because it's not a rule yet. But that would be that kind of scenario where they're in that 30s, 40s range, uh, scheduled really tough, but they've got some losses. So that was a, that's like that's like one of those things for them. Like you got to go win the blessings every year because it's your home <laughs> golf course. Got to you got to yeah. go win that every year to pick up 12 wins right. or whatever it is. To yeah, like exactly, that's, exactly. Yeah. Um, let's see. All right, let's get back to 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 some of the other tournaments. General Hackler, uh, East Tennessee State came out on top by six. They uh, kind of balled out in the in the in the final round. So they were in second place coming into, I believe, uh, coming into the final round. Shot two eighty four minus four. Uh, flipped with Virginia. They also had an individual win or an individual in the tournament, which I think it's Matt's Edge. I believe is mm -hmm. how you pronounce it. Could be wrong. Um, or at least, let me put it this way. I think it was co-medalist with Ben James. They both finished at minus 13. Um, Michael yeah, we did not know if there was a playoff. I think or it if, was actually co-medalist yeah. co because I, I think I saw both okay. of them with pictures with, with hardware. So I think it was co-medalist. Uh, um, yeah. co um, a really good win for East Tennessee State, you know, trying to get away more and more from the bubble number. They beat number 16, Virginia. They beat number six, Auburn, which, where are we at on Auburn? We were talking about red flags or yellow flags a couple weeks ago. Are we? There was more of a red flag after what round was it? Uh, I think after round two or midway through round three, where they were behind Kent State, NC State, like pushing towards the middle of the leaderboard. So, I mean, like, it's good to not take losses to those teams that aren't top 50 teams, you know? I mean, you eventually get wins out of it, but I don't know, man, for the team that was number one in the country that. Which I, I think they're still six or seven in our ranking, I think. Yeah, I believe so. I don't think they moved at I all. Th I don't actually. think they did either. 
Um, yeah, I mean, not a lot of other teams at that top correct. of the... Which is another um, theme as well. Teams aren't moving yeah. nearly as much as people think they're yeah, supposed they stayed to. they at but... six. The okay. only one that really flipped was, in the top 10, was Florida State and Stanford flipped. Okay. From okay. seven and eight. They swapped spots. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, really good win for East Tennessee State. Uh, again, I think as we make this push towards conference championship selection, this is an important win for them. Um, we had something similar strength of field, maybe not as much at the top end, but Johnny O as well. Um, Kansas State ends up winning there by seven. Um, they were the number 25 team in the country. But I, I kind of texted you guys that this was a, a battle of the former number 25s because Cincinnati and Ohio yeah, State were, were in and out. Yeah, yeah. they were kind of in and out of the top, uh, the, the number 25 ranking as well. So um, good to kind of see them kind of all battle it out for for maybe who could who's the best number 25 of all time or at least for this season uh, which kind of gets me to maybe a, a little fun fun thing here um we talk you know we're in the middle of march madness now we're 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 recording this again on the first day of of uh of um of the men's tournament at least i think the women starts on friday with their games um and every year you know there's a bracket buster there's a team we've already got upsets right Ian? we got Furman beat somebody and princeton beat arizona so we've already got some upsets right when we get the national championship we get eight teams in the match play um, you get what is it? Fifteen teams make the cut or whatever into the last day, something around there. At that point in time in the tournament, like I'm a zombie, so honestly, whatever John Baldwin tells me to do, I do. So I don't <laughs> really pay attention to the what buttons. the number is. <laughs> yeah, I push the buttons and I show up to the club at four thirty in the morning, and you know we tear scorecards, and I'm really just not there. So I feel like the only thing we try um, to make sure. To John, I feel like the only thing we try to make sure we're alert for is to make sure we cut the correct individuals when we make the individual cut. Yeah, you know, yeah, talking about exactly. just trying to make sure the correct yes, individuals exactly. advance. That's the yeah. hardest part. Now, this guy plays for this team. What did yeah. he make it? I don't remember. If he don't doesn't remember, make it, like, then that jumps all the way to T47. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I need a whiteboard in the room to like go through kind of like the possibilities <laughs> that we're working with just to get everything out. Um, because I just can't remember off the top of my head at that point yeah. in the week. Yeah, exactly. So so let's do a little fun thing. Let's 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 pick maybe somebody in anybody outside the top 20 that you think could be a bracket buster this year that maybe not make it to match play, but let's say they make the cut. Who's got a chance of maybe surprising some folks to say, um, to, and then we could pick men's or women's too. Cause I, I do want to mention Briars Creek on the women's side. SMU wins that event. They were minus 13, number 30 team in the country going into, they beat number 20 UCF. Maryland's been hot. Don't, don't take my pick. Uh, North Carolina State has been playing well. College of Charleston, Nebraska is another one. They were 36 in the country before that event as well. Um, who 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 might we we look at as some bracket busters? Sorry, are we doing men's or women's? Both. Or you can do either matter? one. You do. You, yeah, you can do. You can pick men's, women's, both. Whatever. Whatever you feel. Okay, this is kind of cheating, but this is when you texted us this. This is the one I thought of, but they're 21st, but mine was Colorado State oh, on the men's side. <laughs> yeah, that was when you texted me. I didn't remember what they were off the top of my head. I just, they're just like, they're, they're just pesky, man. Like, they're just <laughs> sneaky. around. They're just always at the top of the leader. Like, got three wins on the year. I mean, like, it's not a powerhouse program from a powerhouse state that you'd expect to go in and make noise, but, like, they're just around like you yeah. can't get like they're like a gnat like you can't get rid of them man and they just keep staying around and they win and they're the top half of the leaderboard half the time it feels like and so i think that's one that could be really fun to to see and they they've got some ballers on their team so that'll be that's the one that like i said that's probably cheating i can go through the list and see if i can find another one but that was the one i thought of when you first because i knew they were hovering around that range yeah. when you had mentioned that to us okay okay that's really funny because I was also thinking about them, but then especially when I was looking at this list, I'm like Colorado state 21, like not where I thought they would be not yeah. a team that I really remember seeing last year all up there. Cause again, you think of like Southern States, the warmer States, California and stuff, Texas that have, um, really good play golf but, all year. Hey, which, we almost can, which Let is, fun. which oh. is funny though, because, okay. So I'm going to make my basketball analogy for the day. They were showing, I think it was, who did Furman beat? in the men's tournament oh yeah. virginia maybe virginia. virginia they were talking yeah. about the because uh, a lot of times they say in both football and basketball styles make fights right like yeah i mean that virginia has a terrible offense and a great defense yeah and Furman only shoots threes and layups <laughs> shoots a three yep. which yep. is like perfect so then and it, they it, could not hit a three in the first half and they made like 12 in the second half yeah, felt like so then yeah. you get to you know which one of these teams may be able to play somewhere out in the desert? And you kind of mentioned Colorado is not necessarily the desert, but it's it's a much shorter trip to get to Greyhawk than it is for maybe some of the teams. Yeah, that for sure. Up. You know what I mean? So, you know, we talk about styles making fights. Maybe there's a couple teams that that may have a better chance in the desert, whatever it may be. Um, oh, Little, Rock, Little Rock's another one, too. The smallest. UALR. 
Yeah. A couple wins this year. Yeah. Another smaller events. Yep. Um, yep. But they made the final side before Little Rock's another one. They're 30th right now. So there you go. I, okay. I follow the rules. Follow the rules. I'm, I'm going to be, hopefully, I'm not stealing Carolyn's. I know she's like frantically looking for another team, aren't you? Since he has stolen it right out of your hands. I didn't mean to, honestly. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I'm, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to key on Maryland and Nebraska. They were both 35th and 36th going into their last event. And I feel like I've seen good things from them in just about every single event they've played. I know Nebraska has been in contention in just about every event that they've played. They've been a name that I've seen up there quite a bit as far as, Oh, wow. You, you like, as a surprise, I guess, you know, I've, I've been to big 10 women's championship since I started with golf stat. And I can't say again, no disrespect. I can't say Nebraska has been a team that like has really been in contention to win a big 10 women's championship. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. And I don't know if that's the case this year or whatever it is, but they're ranked high enough to make it to regionals at this point. They're ranked high enough. You know, if you want to cut off some teams, they would re- be right at the 30 if everybody made it to national championship. So they could contend to, to get there and then make some noise. They've had some good finishes in tournaments in Maryland as well. Like they've, continually gotten better um each year and i I think it was maybe a couple weeks ago they set program records at at an event like they've they've been balling out so i I really do like teams that um that can go low that can shoot numbers because you're gonna have to do that if you're gonna beat some teams that are really good so i'm I'm, I'm gonna pick those two on the women's side that um would be interesting to, to, to bust some brackets if you will all right, so now it's my turn. That you're the only one left. <clears throat> All right. So, <laughs> you mean there's no one else? Not <laughs> yeah. <there's... laughs> um, for me, I don't know. For some reason, UCLA on the women's side. Okay. That's one that always kind of like sticks out because I feel like not quite like Colorado, but they're they're usually always around. They and are. I feel like last year they kind of did pretty like pretty well, kind of decent. So for them on the women's, I would like to see to see them bust some brackets. Is Emma, is Emma Spitz still there? I feel like she's been there for forever, but she's a stud. Is I this going to be like an Ingrid? Like, uh, no, no, she might be done. I mean, she's, she's a sophomore. Cupper. She played really well. And, no, she's, no, she's, uh, she's done. Three-time Annika Award finalist, three-time All-American. Like she was, I mean, she played really well in the Augusta uh, yeah. Women's Am. I thought she was still there. I mean, you know, COVID year is still a thing. So, yeah. Uh-huh. One, one last point, and then we'll wrap it up, too. I think when we mentioned this, and it is, I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought up UCLA, making the analogy with basketball as well. A lot of times when we talk about those teams that are bracket busters, maybe we haven't heard about that coach very often. But this is not the case for UCLA. Like, we very well coached team. But the coach, a lot of times, is what makes the difference, right? You go back saying, wow, that person's going to get a big job next because they absolutely coached their butt off. UCLA is a well-coached team is what, is what I'm trying to say, right? So a lot of times those teams can have the advantage when they get in any of these situations because they've got a well a, 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 a very good coach. So I, I think that's a good pick as well. Um, hope everybody enjoyed the stuff with Beck Burnett. We're going to wrap it up so that we don't end up with a three-hour podcast. I think I've covered everything I said we were going to cover. We're already at whatever time I said we were going to do. So um, y'all got anything else? Nope. Didn't think so. All right. We're going to wrap it up here. Until next week. Uh, peace.